when you have something to lose, you'll change. But if you've deemed yourself there's nothing to lose because you've taken enough psychedelics that everything is one, good vibes, and that person left there for a reason, you've detached from life and the beauty of expanding to a place that you've never even thought possible. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we're bringing on Alex Ripchinski. Now, Alex is an upper-level Czech practitioner, in fact, a Czech level four, and he's also among a very elite group of Czech faculty members from around the world. He has studied at the Czech Institute, which was founded by Paul Czech, and in his experience, he really works with some of the most challenging cases that we tend to face in the health and wellness space. Now, that doesn't just mean postural dysfunctions or imbalances in strength, but really diving into the mental emotional aspect and really working with some of the more challenging health conditions that people tend to face out there. Every single time we get to chat and connect, I always enjoy my experience of him. I always learn so much. And in this podcast, you're going to get to hear right off the bat just how knowledgeable Alex is. And we go into the role of the teeth. Now, I hadn't seen Alex in, in a minute. And the last time I had seen him, he was wearing braces more from a corrective and functional perspective. And so I was very curious about that. And so in this podcast, you're going to learn so much about the role of the teeth and how every single tooth connects to a specific organ gland in the body, how the teeth are incredibly important at a survival level. You're going to learn how the teeth and the jaw have a correlation to grip and strength. And so the initial part of this podcast was absolutely fascinating. And we focus on more of the practitioner level side of, of knowledge that, that Alex brings to the table. Then we really dive into his development as a man and as a person, because Alex is someone who ever since I've really known him, he's always has been very blunt. He's very Russian, very Eastern European. And with that being said, witnessing as a friend over these last few years, him soften his edges and really step up into the role of responsibility that is being a father, that is being a husband and not just a father and a husband, but one with, with greater awareness and someone who is really interested in developing deeper connections, of course, with himself, but especially with those people that he loves in his life. And so this podcast was incredibly enjoyable for me and and I know you're going to learn so much. So let's get right into the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, when I rolled up, one of the first things that you pointed out to me was something new, which is your spanking new teeth. Not your new teeth, but uh, you, you got no braces. Ever since I've known you all these years, I think you've had braces. So fill me in on where you were and where you are now as it relates to your teeth? Um, well, coming from the Czech Institute, you learn that the second most important thing is your mastication or your jaw function and your teeth, how they inter interdigitate or couple or fit together is really important. And I've noticed because I, you know, through this journey, you take all the metal out of your mouth and then, you know, out of your body and out of your fillings. And all of a sudden I took this retainer out of my mouth from when I had a kid, which is like a bar behind my front teeth, or behind my lower lower front teeth. And then I noticed, I was like, let's see what happens. And then my teeth got all mangled up. And so uh, through this whole journey, sending clients to get their teeth worked on, one of my clients found an airway or, uh, orthodontist 
that considers your airway. And so I go, yes, this is wonderful. This is something that isn't talked about a lot. Let's see if all my theories about, you know, that I've learned from Paul and the, uh, and, um, through my own exploration of increasing strength and through your teeth fitting together and releasing space out of your temporal mandibular joint or where your jaw moves when you open it, where the, you know, uh, it, it articulates from. And my theory was you get stronger when your teeth are aligned. And since I've observed that every professional athlete that is at the top of their field has really nice teeth and wide maxillary arch or that you can see all of their teeth, they're not crowded and not, you know, closed up on each other. So I said, Hey, it's time for me to put my money where my mouth is. Literally. Literally. <laughs> and, uh, went into this whole journey about opening up my mouth and it was, it was arduous. It was, it was bad. Not only from the, the teeth perspective, but having to move my whole maxilla forward eight millimeters or the top teeth forward eight millimeters and then bring each tooth forward and opening up the arch. And then I had a deep bite, which encroaches on your mental, uh, temporal mandibular joint. Basically it, there's a disc in there. And a lot of people don't think they, well, they think they have discs in their back only, but there's a disc in your jaw also. Interesting. And so when that disc gets compressed, it downregulates all the power going throughout your body. And most people that have grip issues actually have teeth problems and jaw problems. And that's why mouth guards are such a, uh, you know, what I, if, if my clients don't want to do that or people don't want to do all that arduous work, because it's expensive too, you know, if the intermediate process or like the, the quick process is get a mouth guard to give your jaw some space so that way you could bite and clench and stabilize your neck and your teeth and your skull. And then the brachial plexus where all your nerves, veins and arteries come out of your neck you can have more grip strength. So you don't have to use wraps. And so after this whole process happened, when I first tested my grip before I got my braces on, it was 90 pounds per hand. And then testing it again, it went to 150 plus 151 pounds per hand. Fascinating. So collectively over 120 pounds of grip strength for free. Not for free. Not for I, free. I paid, I paid for it. <laughs> but ultimately I didn't exercise because I only had two two points of contact to, to bite on each side. So it felt like my my teeth were on ice skates and I only had two biting surfaces per side and they weren't even like, they weren't even complete biting surfaces. It was like, it was two picture, picture putting, trying to chew steak with like two marbles. Mm. That's what it felt like in my mouth for two whole years. And so that was arduous. So when I got the, my, my braces out, I retested it with my mouth guard and uh, yeah, they went up over 151 pounds and I haven't exercised in consistently in two years, two years now. And so the fact that I'm getting stronger without exercising because my teeth are fitting in my mouth better and my mouth is opening up and fitting where, and fitting all my teeth in. So they're not crowded, proven all that true and worth it. That's so interesting. Like one of the things, so a few things come up. One of the things is if I recall correctly, there were some studies done where they equate, maybe you would know, but they equated grip strength to longevity, or there's some correlation to that. And I'm curious now, there's got to be a link to obviously with the jaw then. But that was one thing that came up. And, and you know, in this podcast, a lot of the episodes have really focused on uh, the person, the hero's journey and some of their struggles and stuff like that. And before we get into that, uh, people I don't think are really familiar. Like you kind of just like sprinkled in some knowledge on like the correlation between teeth and strength. Can you share just a little bit more about why you know you shared in in the check system you'd look at teeth as a higher order system but why teeth and and for those who are listening he's got an actual 
tooth chart behind him and without referencing the chart, but like, can you share a little bit of what, why the fuck the teeth? Why would someone even be interested in addressing and going through some of the arduous pain and struggle that you went through? Yeah. So people are familiar with reflexology and they, they stick to the hands and the feet, but you also have reflexology in your face, your tongue and your teeth and your ears. So, oh, and your eyes. Forgot about urology is a whole other uh, modality that m- your body will mirror your whole body in your eyes, in your, in your face, in your ears, your hands, your feet, uh, your tongue. And reflexology, just to clarify, like that would be like Chinese points or yeah. acupuncture points or stuff like that, right? Yeah. The, your whole system, like the outside of your hands and the pinky side will be your spine. So everything related. So from the top of your pinky to the bottom of your, of your hand and your palm is your C1 and your cranium through C1, through cervical, thoracic, lumbar, sacral spine is on the outside of your hand. So if you notice the outside of your hand is painful, you can find where on it it is painful and actually go look at your body and see if you have a problem there as well. And so the longer it progress, the more it shows up in your hands, your feet and the distal, the farther limbs, the more it's progressed. So if you haven't noticed it yet, then then it may not fully be as progressed as it, as it uh, would be in someone that can't get rid of their pain. And all of a sudden now they have, you know, foot problems in a certain area that correlates to the foot problem or the hand problems that they have. And then all of a sudden you might see their tongue scallop in a certain way and you might see their tooth starting, starting to wear or develop plaque um, along that area because it's starting to get infected because that's where your body will dissipate your signals into because your body doesn't care about what macros you're eating or what you look like. It cares about keeping your organs alive. And so if your organs are alive, you could still be alive and your body knows that. So whenever your organs have issues, they reflex in away from, they, they take that inflammation away as far as it can from the organs. And that's why people get tight muscles and, um, and could cramp and have infections and uh, re- reoccurring injuries because those organ problems are reflexing into your teeth and they're, and they're causing your body to try to tell you, hey, there's a problem here. Please pay attention. And so the teeth also are, people think they're bones. They're not. They're crystals. And you can do a quick, really? quick Google search. Yeah, no they're like shit. quartz crystals and, and uh, they're stronger than, uh, they're stronger than uh, steel. They, uh, they are also the nerve endings. They're extensions of your brain because they connect your, your teeth, your nerves of your teeth connect into your brain. And so then you have, you know, cranial nerves, which supersede the peripheral nervous system. So all the other, you know, you put your hand on a hot surface, your, your, your hand will move, then your brain goes, it's hot. But things like eyesight, your swallowing reflex, your gagging reflex, your smell, your facial expressions all get m- mirrored into your brain and they get, there's no, there's no relay signals. It goes all the way up to your brain. So if your teeth are crowded and, and not coupling properly, you're think about putting a, two hydraulic presses together and putting a point and the hydraulic press will notice that, Hey, if I keep doing this, I'll puncture the other side and it'll break the press. So it'll, it'll, uh, decompress that whole system. And that's what people have. They have two hydraulic presses that you are trying to use your grip. And whenever you pick that up and you start clenching your teeth because you generate more power. And if anyone's listening to this, try to try to squeeze someone's hand without clenching your teeth. Hmm. It's going to be really difficult. And so the more you clench your teeth, or if you have like a, like put a mouth guard in and then shake someone's hand and really bite into it, you're going to notice you're going to generate more power out of your hands because your teeth feel safe. And the more your teeth are out of place, it's that same thing. If they don't couple, then your teeth will puncture each other and crack each other. 
And then your body won't let you do that unless you override it with the egoic or uh, contact and because your teeth aren't put together right, they crack. And then now you have all sorts of problems through the rest of your system, depending on what tooth that's correlated to. The other thing is since, since they're crystals, they create an electric charge, a piezoelectric charge, which then every time you bite or make contact with your teeth, since all of your teeth have their own muscle, organ, gland system that it's connected to, each tooth. Each tooth. To a specific organ and or, and or gland, et cetera. Yes. Muscle. Wow. Yes. Okay. And so every time they connect, you're basically charging your organs and, <laughs> and uh, your glands, your tissues, your muscles, and you're pumping them full of electricity. And the same way you can take a, a quartz crystal and charge it and create a charge out of it, the same way your teeth do that on a, repeated, uh, a repetitive basis when you eat, when you, uh, when you move, when you talk and you know, put your teeth together. And that's the same, same reason um, when people are asleep and they grind their teeth, yeah. their body thinks they're dying. So picture when someone's dying and their heart stops, what do they do? They put paddles on them and they charge them. So what do your teeth do? They grind to create a charge to stimulate you to get out of sleep and start breathing again. So they resuscitate you when people have sleep apnea and things like that. So they grind their teeth to not only charge their organs, to keep the organs charged, but also to get your attention so you start breathing again. So, and I want to be mindful of the questions I ask because I know, and for those listening, if you can already tell, Alex can go. <laughs> and I want to be mindful of, of the time that we have today. But that being said, I know that grinding teeth is a really common thing. What are some of the high level causes of grinding teeth? You kind of alluded to one, maybe just like a lack of vitality. What else comes up for you? Parasites. Interesting. So when your body starts developing parasites in certain organs, once again, your teeth start grinding together to charge those organs to create vitality in those organs to compensate for the lack of vitality in the organ. Now, then you have uh, same thing with any kind of inflammation, sugar. So your body's trying to charge those organs, uh, mental, emotional suppression of your voice. So what happens when someone's yelling at you and you hold it in? What do you do? People clench their teeth and they take a big breath in. But if you actually follow where that goes, it goes into your temporalis muscle where your temporalis muscle is on the side of your skull. And when you only clench your molars, that muscle activates on the side of your head. It's Which above ones your, are the molars? The back, back teeth. Ones? Yeah, yeah, okay. So you're going to notice that when you clench your teeth together, the muscle above your ears on your skull will clench. And so when you're trying to hold something back, whether it's like your kid or your wife or someone on the street or, you know, someone's trying to cancel culture you or whatever. And you're like, okay, I need to control myself because you haven't processed why you're saying that thing yet. Mm. So you're suppressing your voice, not only to not offend, but also to, uh, you know, unconsciously you don't know how to say something. You know, your kid is unleashing on you and you, you're triggered. So instead of making the trauma worse, you collect yourself, quote unquote, collect yourself. But really you are putting those intentions and storing them in the temporalis. And at night, since your unconscious is flying in the middle of the night, processing those through your dreams, you start grinding your teeth and all those become active and then your teeth start grinding. So there's another issue why your teeth grind. So those are like the main causes of people grinding their teeth. Wow. That's so interesting, man. And with the work that you've done, what have you seen with people who have gotten their job, like you, you send them to a specific, like, well, one, what type of, I imagine that not all dentists practice in this way or have an idea of what you're talking about. So if someone were just to get braces, for example, is that the same thing that you did or what was kind of like at a high level, what was the process that you went through 
or someone that you might send to this type of dentist uh, compared to maybe a more traditionally trained one? So braces, the problem with braces is they retract your maxilla. So they anchor at the back and they pull your teeth into the back, which your lower jaw follows your upper jaw. And so if your top jaw gets retracted, then your bottom jaw gets retracted. And if everyone listening sits up straight and then they bring their jaw back in retraction, it's hard to breathe. Yeah. It like closes down the throat basically. And the only way to... The only way to fix that is to have stick your neck forward. And now you could breathe. So now you have forward head posture that you can't ever treat properly. So it opens up the airway, but then there's a there's a compensation that happens and there's other obviously consequences to that. Correct. And so it not only will it encroach on your airways, which means you can't breathe properly to the full capacity which you could breathe, then you're gonna have to compensate that by having a forehead posture. Or the other one is you lift your chest. And you have this overconfident posture, which you'll see like almost like a rooster, which lift, walk their chest up and walk around. But then what that does is it creates a military spine and it's still forward head. It flattens the curve of the neck. So it's straight. Correct. So okay. either way you're compensating in your neck and you can't maintain the curvatures, which means you don't have the proper openings in the side of your neck where your nerves come out of to give you grip strength. And since all <laughs> the muscles in your neck control everything from your neck to your trap, uh, actually your trap is a cranial nerve and same thing with SCM. Uh, try not to bore the audience here. <laughs> um, so all the muscles, even to your hands, your pecs, your lats are controlled from the muscles that come out of your cervical spine. And so if they're not stable, all that's interfered. And if people need an idea of like what that looks like is picture you put in a light bulb that's 100 watt necessary, but you put uh, a 60 watt and there's not enough current or it's just yeah so there's not enough current to go into that bulb to turn it on you put a 100 watt bulb in a 60 watt outlet and it won't doesn't have enough current to turn it on and uh you're gonna go what's wrong with this thing and you're going there's not enough current so if you draw the right wire which is basically opening up the neck and you're bringing your jaw forward your teeth into the right place it's sending the most like the the appropriate current not overstimulated because that's how you get electrocuted but the proper amount of current to the muscle to actually get it to contract and all those systems and processes to work synchronistically together to achieve the thing like instantaneous movement, which if you break it down, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. The fact that your joints float on a one degree of within one degree of, uh, it's called called instantaneous axis of rotation. Have you heard that? Yeah. Paul's Paul's talked about break it, break, you know, so people listening have an understanding. So your joints, all the muscles, when people say like, I have to isolate a muscle, you go, there's no, there's no possible way you can isolate a muscle because your joint at every angle has to, has to keep that joint stable within one degree of its ranges of motion or you create an injury. And so the fact that with your, your body is functioning always within one degree, under one degree of error, that's happening all the time. Every time we're moving, my jaw, my face, my facial expressions, my joints, my hands, my, my shoulders, they're all operating perfectly under one degree of error. And if it goes over that, then we get injuries. And so the fact that our bodies are so synchronized on a joint by joint level is mind, is, is still mind blowing to me. Still, still like a, I'm like a new kid looking at it because it's still <laughs> amazing to think about. I completely agree, man. I completely agree. Just going back to what makes the difference between a dentist, for example, and what if someone was interested in seeking out maybe some of the work that you do or this type of dentist compared to a traditional one, what comes up? What are they looking for differently or how is their process different? 
the process, a lot of a lot of dentists have, and orthodontists have moved to cone beam scanning, which basically is a three-dimensional scan of your face. And it'll tell you how much airway obstruction you have based on the scan and where and where geometrically your face needs to be. Um, another fun little thing, if you make a straight hand or you put a chopstick and you put it, close your mouth and put it from your nose to your, uh, no, on your nose to your chin. On my nose to my chin yeah. like that? Okay. Yeah. Your, your lips should actually touch your hand. So you, from your nose to your chin and your lips should be one angle. And if you don't, that means you have a retracted maxilla. Oh, interesting. So it's one okay. of those, it's one of those uh, golden ratios that we have. Like every digit becomes on a golden ratio bigger than the next one until it until you get the perfect Vitruvian man as as uh, the as Vitruvian man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another one of those uh, measurements that you can tell. And the, the further back your maxilla is, or your teeth and your lips are from your your nose to your chin in that same plane, the more obstruction you have you're going to have in your airway. So that is one big thing. And if you look into your mouth and there's teeth that are crowded, they don't they don't fit quite together. They overlap or they're twisted. And, you know, your teeth may compensate and they fit together, but they don't, they're not quite turned. Cause remember each nerve has a certain length that it needs to travel. And if it doesn't have that length, then it's either traveling too fast or it's traveling too slow and it's going to interrupt the way your body functions. And actually the building that we're sitting in, I talked to the electrician a lot. And I was like, why do you run that wire instead of that wire? He goes, oh, well, from the transformer, if it leaves the transformer at 400 amps, that means I need to slow it down and I need to know how many feet it's going to travel to slow it down so that way you pull 200 amps. And if I pull, make a wire that's too thick, it'll move too fast. And if I move a wire that's too thin, it, it won't get enough current. So I have to know, they have to know exactly the distance, what the transformer is pulling, what you're putting in here, or else you'll fry everything or you won't get enough power to the building and nothing will turn on. And that's the same thing with your body on a closed circuit network inside your system. And so when those things are moving, they're not quite appropriate for what your body's uh, current rate is. And then you'll be either overstimulated, which Arndt Schultz law basically says that if you uh, have an understimulated nervous system or muscle, you... Uh, stimulate it, meaning you muscle stim or touch it, you need to stimulate it. If you have a moderate stimuli, you have to favor it. If you have an ex, uh, a strong stimuli, you have to retard it and bring the current down. And if you have an extremely strong stimuli, you have to arrest it or shut it down completely. And so a lot of people that overdo, then their muscles arrest them and then it shuts that muscle off completely. And then they get the injury while they're running or whatever happens. Would that almost be like I was thinking back to uh, and powerlifting, and you—you've obviously done a shit ton of lifting in your day. I still remember some old pictures that you showed me. Like Alex, you—you you are fit, but like Alex, you were jacked on jacked. But I don't know if you've ever seen like when squatters, and I think this even happened to me once. But like when you do a load that's excessively heavy, I think it's like oh, the Golgi tendon organ or something turns on, and literally your body goes into like a rest mode. Like every, it's like a limp noodle after that. And then the spotters have to come in. Is that something like that? What you're talking about? Like the muscles will get arrested or is that something different? Yeah. Cause, cause if your body is over pursuing, once again, what arrests that you're either putting too much compression in your teeth, you're putting oh. too much compression to the joint and all the mechanoreceptors within a degree of function have to control all those tendons, ligaments, organs, 
what your teeth are doing, your neck position, the, the, the holes in your side of your neck or your foramen that all those nerves come out. If they get compressed a little bit, your body doesn't care what you're lifting. Your body cares to keep you alive. And so it will absolutely shut off muscles and you will, yeah, drop those weights and hopefully have a safety measure because your brain can't tell what's happening outside in the environment. All it knows is, hey, we have critical failure and uh, we're going to either break our teeth or tear something else. And so when people overdo it and ignore those things and compensate with like wraps or straps or belts or whatever, it helps them. But then they can run more stimulus, but it never ends up being a longevity solution or a life affirmative solution in the long run because they end up with a shoulder or hip instability or a back, some kind of back pain and, uh, or neck pain and they can't get rid of it. And where is it coming from? And it's that, that overstimulation of those tissues. Then tell your body, though, we're done. That makes total sense, man. I hadn't heard it broken down like that. So thank you. And so do you basically then advise in pretty much all situations, no wraps, no straps, anything like that, just build the system up? Or is there a time and a place where someone might, uh, you'd be okay with them using that. If that was, the, if that's what they're getting paid for, you know, okay. if someone comes and they they're an av- avid power, uh, you know, they love powerlifting, but then they're an accountant. I'm gonna go, why, why, why? <laughs> like you got kids, you got work, like. But if like you're getting paid to lift weights, and then like your livelihood is on it, like yeah, well, we need to learn how to integrate the system. And then know how to use those appropriately. So when you take off the weight belt, your breathing isn't inverted after that. You know how to bring your breathing back to normal because the breathing pattern is reversed versus a belt versus not wearing a belt. And so that when you're lifting a couch and now you have all this power running through you and then you don't have spinal stability because you're breathing wrong, then that's when they blow their back out. Now they can't work. They can't do the thing that makes the money, whether it be through advertisements, endorsements, all those things. And that's when it's, applicable to go, okay, we, you need to learn how to use these tools. The same thing we, you know, have to learn how to use gun safety. And there's all these ways to keep your, you know, finger off, check, check the chamber. There's make sure the mag is out, check three points of contact or three points of check. There's all these systems in place. So that way you don't hurt yourself or other people. And it's the same concept. Um, but I don't think I answered your question, which was, where do I send them? If you find an airway orthodontist that the Health and Beauty Institute will be a good resource to start, but there are other dentists that do, or orthodontists that do, that work with like DNA appliances, Faga appliances, some use, you know, bone screws and they'll, uh, for kids, the, the ALF, ALF device is really nice because it's gentle. It's a wired, gentle guiding of the teeth to open while they're they're developing. So those, if you start Googling those terms, mm. you'll find people that, use those. And then that'll be a, a good start because it's very, very complex because you could literally, if you do it wrong, you could push your teeth out of your skull and then they die. So it's, it's very, it's, it has to be a gradual process because as your bones get pushed forward in your mouth, you have to grow bone behind those bones or else you push your whole teeth out and then you have like whole roots sticking out and your teeth die. And how long did you have to wear braces? About two years. About two years. And uh, I think there's a few other friends now that have seen me and they've shown up with braces. And I'm like, did you go see Alex? And they're like, yes. And uh, I don't know if it was good. Oh, it was a good decision. But man, this sucks, you know? Yeah.
If you're a coach, therapist, practitioner, trainer, if you're a professional in the health and fitness space, then man, am I excited to share something with you today. And it is my program, Mastering the Kettlebell. No doubt if you've been listening to the PATH podcast, then you've heard about my program, Kettlebell Lifestyle, which is a compliment to Mastering the Kettlebell. But mastering the kettlebell specifically was more designed for the coach, the trainer, the person who wants to share their knowledge with others. And so in this program, I went a little crazy to say the least. Uh, I spent 13 months developing mastering the kettlebell. There's over 400 instructional videos. And in that program and in that course, you're going to learn a whole ton of assessments to set you up almost like a screening tool before you even lift kettlebells to make sure you're going to be doing so safely and optimally. You're going to learn all all the fundamental and foundational grips and positions, basically every single common error you could ever think of that's going to happen in a kettlebell lift, how to address it, how to identify it. You're going to learn all the progressions into the major movements. There's lectures on program design and posture in the spine. I bring in so many guest experts into this program, and I'm so excited to share it with you now because I haven't even discussed it yet on the path. And so if you're a fitness professional, especially really looking to dive deep in kettlebell training, kettlebell lifting, but just really movement as a whole, this is the instructional resource for you. And when I created the program, It was my attempt to share from my heart everything that I had learned up to that point in over 15 years at the time of creating it and also create the most comprehensive resource on the internet for someone who wants to learn and especially coach kettlebells. So if that interests you, anyone who listens to the PATH podcast will get $200 off on the program. All you got to do is use code PATH20 and visit the website, which will be in the show notes, programs.mikesalemi.io. Or you can just go to mikesalemi.io. And from there, if you hit in the upper right corner, the drop down, you will get to see access to this program. Let's get back to the show. I want to transition a little bit, but it touches on what you were sharing earlier about the client who's the accountant and maybe acting in a way that's not basically dream affirmative or in a way that's like in alignment with the life that he's living. And with that being said, you and I have had more than a handful of conversations about your communication style and or just your nature around communication. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background. But all that to say is since I've known you in these years, you've I don't know if we want to say change a lot, but you've there you present differently and you're still you and you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background, but also is change possible? Can someone change? And you can go as deep as you want to go on that, but I'm really curious because I have seen a different Alex in communication and I'm really curious what contributed to that and what you what has that experience been like for you? Change is 100% possible. The biggest disservice you could do for people is if last time you saw someone was when they were in high school or middle school or college, and it's been like 10, 15 years, the biggest disservice you could do to someone is treat them like they've never changed. Because even being with Sarah for almost eight years now, we are constantly, I'm meeting new Sarah and she's meeting new Alex every season. There's something new that we're evolving into. And I've noticed that there are some people in my life that still think of me as who they knew years ago. And I go, I have learned so much and it feels very reductive. And, you know, it's it's unconsciously, like they're not doing it consciously, but it's because they haven't 
had the opportunity potentially to grow into certain things themselves or they've ignored it or they've continued a certain lifestyle, they don't see it because it's, it's still in their unconscious because that's not something they're conscious of. And so when I meet people at different times in their life, I'm always curious as to what is different because I pay attention because I have four women in my life and, <laughs> and they're constantly reflecting back to me what I need to work on. And if I was... Uh, unwilling, then they would probably have killed me by now. And so, and I say that jokingly because the other side of that is I probably would have emotionally and mentally hurt them. And so for a lot of people, there isn't enough pain in their life to want or warrant change. And so those have been the biggest things in the women in my life that have been coming around and you know, the, the way we joke in private is different than how I joke with my six and a half year old. And my six and a half year old, oh, almost seven year old has an amazing sense of humor. And uh, like we were watching a show the other day and uh, it was like a bunch of stuff got ruined. And she like leaned back over, over the couch, this sly look and she goes, it's a lot of damage. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're seven and you're observing like that was, and I'm laughing and she goes, why are you laughing? I go, cause that was like your, your humor is on point, you know, <laughs> like the tone, the body language, everything was great. And so what I noticed is every time that I wanted to share some knowledge with them or a, a behavior or a way of life, they wouldn't listen to me unless I changed something about my language. And even though I'm very blunt and sometimes you need to get bludgeoned, you know, but most people don't. And so I've noticed mm. that it's easier to get my point across or share something through changing my language. And the way I talk to my seven-year-old, my 13-year-old, my 17-year-old, and my 42-year-old are very different because they all on a structural and a mental, emotional, spiritual level are at different stages of development, consciousness. And in order to speak to them and share the information that I want to, that will help them grow as human beings and be a dad. That's what I need to do or else I'm doing them a disservice by speaking the way we were speaking at the beginning of this podcast with all the heavy stuff. And I go, why don't you understand this? It's because I'm not speaking their language. And I've noticed that the more I see the way I change and adapt to speaking to people, they feel more loved, appreciated, accepted. The more... I want to provide that for them. And the same way with clients, learning how to use the right you know, range of my communication styles. And uh, sometimes you bludgeon people and sometimes you, you know, kill them with softness and you get it through with softness and then you ramp them up and then down and you know, depending on where you catch me in my mood, which is my responsibility as to manage myself so that way my, my blood sugar isn't off all over the place because that goes to my standard operating system, which is I'm going to tell you exactly what I need and want, and it's going to be sharp. And so, but you at least know. And it, once you change those things, it makes not only hearing what the other person has to say, or he, the other person hears what you have to say more lovingly, and they're more willing to work with that. And um, then they start trusting if that's your intention, if that's what you're doing. Because when, when, when I bludgeon people, it's to save me time. 
because I have so much to do and I want to, I want to help, but I can't spend five hours talking about it. I can't. It's uh, for me to give up time. I have to give up something else in my life. And those are things I'm not willing to do. They're not in my values to give up family time, to give up, you know, um, certain things I need to get cleaned or worked or added or, or built, uh, rearranged. Like those things are our priority for me. And then when there's people in my life that come into my life that need something from me, I want to love them quickly. So that way they get what they need and we don't have to really go into it. And I've noticed some people are really good at receiving that and some people aren't. And the more, I change my softness with people. That way they know deeply that I'm trying to help and care or else I wouldn't waste my breath talking to that person. I'm only sharing this because I care deeply about you, but I also have this list that feels like Santa's Christmas list that rolls out like on a scroll to do. And I'm like, I, uh, it's already overwhelming to get prioritize which ones need to get done. So it's like, here, here you go. This is what, this is what I recommend. And then they have follow-up questions. I'm like, oh, I don't have like Google it, you know, <laughs> start there, you know? And I've noticed that the more people trust that when I share that my information or my feedback or my uh, observations, the more they trust that it's coming from love, then it, it doesn't matter where on the range I fall into. Mm. Because they know me as consistently sharing things from a place of, I want nothing but you to get better for you to receive a value, for you to feel loved, for you to get the thing that you need. And then so on the days that I'm not managing my blood sugar, because there's such an emotional reserve, they don't feel like they've never had love at that point. And so they go, oh, that's a one-off. I get it. It's okay. Like she must be in a place, you know? Or you must be busy or whatever. They, they can rationalize because they don't have a lack of emotional support from me or mental support from me through my language because I'm trying and they can feel it. And then I can save myself all that extra time. Well, also in my experience of you, you've been uh, in just our communications and how I've observed you connect with people. You voice at times that you're working on stuff or you'll leave me like a follow-up message like, Hey, I just wanted to follow up on that because I maybe it was taken in this way and I just wanted you to know that I love you and just like so I really have seen you, you know, no one's perfect, like that's an illusion, right? And that being said, the caring comes out in some way shape or form. But what I'm one of the things I'm curious about is like if you were to step into the shoes of Alex of 10 years ago, <laughs> paint us a little bit more of a picture there and then I'd love to hear in those early days, how did you receive maybe feedback then versus how you do now? I always compensated that with, am I wrong though? Like, am I telling you the truth or am I lying to you? And what I've learned about learn, uh, studying esoteric wisdom is the biggest thing is do no harm. And so there's a lot of people that want to achieve high rates of either spirituality and uh, we were talking about it like finances, but they don't know how to wield that. And there's a saying, the weight of knowledge. And so you have to carry the weight of knowledge. And so if you unload your weight of knowledge on someone that's not willing to handle it, it could break them. And so if, if knowledge was a tree and the tree wasn't strong enough, the limbs would break off the tree before it could develop fruit. That's the weight that you carry as a 
uh, as a healer, as a mentor, as a teacher, and knowing when to share something, even though you know you want to share more, but you don't. The same way you don't give your dog chocolate because you know what will happen, as an example. It'll kill them, or it'll send them on such a spiral that if you guided them, they, they wouldn't kill the mystery of life and they would still grow internally themselves instead of wanting to do what, you know, well, I've achieved all this. Well, here's the answer. And then it's like, well, now what do I do? And a lot of people have that. They take psychedelics and they feel like they have this mystery that got killed. And then they're like, well, I feel like since we're going to die and everything's going to be whatever it is, then I'll reincarnate. So what's the point of, uh, I don't know what to do anymore. So kind of like, and they check out a life. So it's learning about that. So about 24-year-old Alex would tell people the truth with no regard over how they feel or what, how they consider it. Because what I say, uh, would say or said at the, point, at the time is an honest observation with no filter. And it would be like getting hit in the head with something or in the heart with something. And then it would take people months or years to process what I say. And then they'll come back and say, hey, you were right. And then I would process and go, probably could have said it there early, you know, so I didn't send you on. And we could have still been talking because, you know, they would stop talking to me, you know, and I am perfectly okay with being alone. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need people around me, you know, and, you know, I have a family. So yes, I love being around them. Um, and if I, you know, when they're, when they're doing their things, I love being alone. So if I had no friends, I would have my mind. So that's what I would keep. I would keep practicing what I'm doing already. So 24-year-old Alex had his ideas, had his youthful uh, imagination of what was important, what not important. And, uh, and so, yeah, since I'm very stubborn and headstrong, I like to run ideas until they, they're either they're good or they're bad. Mm. And then um, I don't mean to reduce it that simply, for the sake of time, reducing it that simply. I had no awareness over how I made people feel. Mm. Because that got no washed over. No emotional awareness. That, wa that was washed over with, I'm trying to help you, you know? And it's like, you're punching someone in the face going, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> you know, go to sleep, you know? They go back to their family with black eyes. Yeah. What did you do? I was just, Alice was just trying to help me somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and... um you said something earlier, you know, people changing. It's, it's you know, uh, being headstrong, being left alone. I had my own ideas, listening to whatever pop culture was telling me and seeing what other people are doing. And then, you know, the trouble that they're getting into and, um, you know, ended up uh, getting charged with a felony for stealing stuff out of people's cars, which I didn't know was a felony. Like, you don't think things through. It's like you're having fun, you know? Very naive in some aspects, which is like very naive about my emotional intelligence back in the day and uh, how, because my mind overpowers the emotion because that's a lot of what Eastern Europeans mm, are. That's what they are. They don't, they don't, if you ever see an Eastern European and they're like upset or they're like, you know, resting face, resting uh, B face or whatnot. And then the, the true thing about that is if you, if they show emotion, you know, it's real. So if they laugh, they're not faking it. Americans would be like, Oh, that's so funny. You know, Oh my God, you're, you're, you're a comedian. And they'll turn around and be like, what the hell are you talking about, you know, and then they'll come back and smile in your face 
Europeans don't do that. Like, especially Russians or Ukrainians, they don't do that. That's not part of our culture. Interesting. And so because that navigates uh, what needs to get done quicker, it's more efficient. But you don't experience that fluidity of emotions and the range of experiences of life. So when I met Sarah, I was bridging that was painful mm. like sitting with emotions that were so overwhelming it was like working out it was no different than pumping my biceps or standing under a bar and feeling the weight of that bar as it comes down and it feels like my spine's going to collapse and my muscles are on redlining that's what it felt like emotionally it felt like i couldn't take it you were a novice lifter with 500 pounds on the bar basically yeah yeah and i stepped under sarah who's who's curling a thousand pounds you know <laughs> She's seasoned at it, and I'm over here, you know, with the pink weights. You know, please help me. Yeah, the little pink weights in, in the in the yoga studio. Like, I think I'm doing this. This is a lot, right? And Sarah's over there. Yeah, you hear the weights, the bar bending, you know. And uh, so it took a lot. And um, but 24 year old Alex was, I'd say, much more savage with my communication, with no regard, self awareness, and. Um, uh, inclination to check in with how people feel of what I said. What would happen when you were wrong? Or if, you know, we're all human, we all get shit wrong. What, how would you address then versus now when you uh, had your truth of something incorrect? If I saw it, that's one of my blessings that I, that I am very grateful for is if I know that I'm wrong, I change it. And if I said something that I recognize is wrong, I immediately don't do it anymore. Mm. And it's, it's a lot of the times like it's convincing. Once I have the information and it makes sense, then I change. And because, you know, with the, with the world that we live in, we get inundated with so much information and it's important to be in yourself and have your own beliefs and ideas of what is important what you want to see in the world and what needs to be more of and what needs there needs to be less of and you need to carry that and that's as a man that's what you do it's like this is my household this is how we run things and yet then you take feedback and go okay well this is how we run things and I'll do it differently like this and I'll do it differently like this but it gets the point across and I do that because I love my family and then there's some things that you know like, for example, protecting your family. The moment, if there's any danger, that's always in my field. Mm. And something that I was really nervous about is losing that. Losing that what? I'm sorry. Like, have you, if anyone's ever seen the Hulk. Yeah. And like in one of the Avengers movies, he goes, they go, come on, Bruce, like get angry. He goes, that's my secret. I'm always angry. And he turns around, turns into the Hulk and smashes something and then saves them or whatnot. And that was, that resonated with me because that's what I was afraid of losing is that, because when I get in those states, either when I played football or wrestled or volleyball, it was my, my awareness, my acute attention to detail, my reflexes are so quick and I could not get injured, run around things, not get hurt, perform. And I love the way that feels. And at the same time, I had to recognize that that doesn't need to happen when I'm like hearing my kid yell at me. Yep. There's a time and a place and it needs to be controlled. And so my, one of my fears was 
if I don't have that, will I be able to protect myself and them? Because it was like, all you got to do is open that door real quick and it's the floodgates open. And I never get violent. So that's one of my, that's one of my core things is I don't resort to violence. And that's why I like grappling because I don't have to punch anyone. I don't have to hurt anyone. I can restrain people and I never resort to violence because I've seen violence around women when I was growing up. And it's something that stuck with me that I, that I, one day I went, I'm never doing this. No matter how angry I get, this is something that I do not want to do. And, uh, I, and I walk out of the house before that happens. And in the early stages of a relationship of trying to figure out navigating emotions and like it was flooding and I didn't know what to do. And there's a baby and there's all these things and other kids. And I'm like, oh my, this is so overwhelming. I'd go outside and I have to learn to ground myself or else um, that's that anger and it gets more and more enraged. And so what I learned is the more I tapped into the emotion that... It happened actually in jujitsu where someone I felt was, they had this like craze and they tried to hurt me because what they were doing is not jujitsu. They were driving elbows and knees and hitting pressure points. And I rec- and I felt this energy of like, oh, I'm going to control this, you know? And, and then, so I saw this, this, this uprising happen and I bench pressed this person off of me and I saw this look of like, Ooh, what do I do? What do I get into? And then I had to calm myself down. And then it was that moment I go, oh, it never left. It's always in there. Cool. I don't have to worry about it. And so once that happened, I know that those modes are always in me. So that way I've transcended to learn how to feel emotionally as to how people are thinking and be self-aware over what I said and to make sure, check in. Hey, you know, I hope you know that I'm not, I didn't mean it this way. I know text or voice message or, you know, Hey, I was in a rush. I don't, you know, if my tone came off this way, you know, I'm, I'm not angry or whatever. And, um, and people are like, Oh, I didn't feel that way. Good. You know? And even if they did feel that way and they're doing the American thing and being like, I didn't feel that from you, <laughs> you know, even though they were like about to start clenching their teeth and getting upset, you know? And, uh, then they go, Oh, oh, oh okay. So then they start getting to know me that I'm going to check in with them and, and, uh, they can count on it. Cause if I implement something, I stick to it. So it's not something that I do to appease people. If I need it to change, then it's something about me that I need to work through. And so then I look into like, if you're telling, you know, if the girls are telling me, hey, your face is really bothering me. And I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? (laughs) (laughs) And then, so then I start, you know, paying attention, like, hey, your eyebrows are down. And then, so then I'm walking around and and then I see the girls and and then when I see them, I I tell myself, my mantra is, hey, are, are, are are your eyebrows down? And if they are, and I feel them scrunching, I'll, I'll lift them up. It's some kind of awareness that even if I'm like chopping trees or not around people, like I don't care what my face looks like because there's not, no one that could be offended by my face in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm around people, it's something that I notice. And because I care about people and I want them to feel loved and accepted and not judged. And if that's truly how I feel, and I want to present that to them. Mm. And so then as, I, as you learn a new person, every person's a little bit different. And so whenever I hear something that I don't agree with, depending on who I'm talking to, I will try all the different ways that they receive that. And sometimes it's asking questions, you know, oh, um, you know, are there any experiences in your life that people that did this, but didn't mean well, Mm. and then they get a chance to explain themselves and, and elaborate. And they go, oh, my father always looked at me like this. And I go, oh, okay. And that's because I, 
what I was going to get into next is well, instead of getting angry, I had to learn why those angers were there. So I go, well, and you're yelling at me. Why am I angry? And I go, oh, because my dad, when he yelled, I couldn't express myself back. So I'm mad at you because you get to express yourself and I don't. So then as I work on that feeling going, isn't it amazing that I'm, I'm creating an environment where my kid can express themselves emotionally, mentally, dysfunctional or not, you know, they're, they're learning how to do that. And I can't expect them to be at a you know, nonviolent communication seminar teaching that thing right now. You know? So it's one of those things where it's grace and patience. And you know, when people say, I wish I had more patience, well, what God does is gives you more things to practice patience. <laughs> it's a funny little paradox, you know? And so you become more patient by practicing patience. And because of those core issues that I work on with myself, they don't become a problem anymore. So then I can actually see what the person's feeling because I'm not clouded by my own feelings of, hmm, I don't like it when my kid yells at me. If she was in Russia, this wouldn't be this way, you know? And it's like, well, do you want them to live in Russia? No. Well, then why are we having this argument or a conversation in my head? Oh, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't relate. We're in the United States. This isn't a culture here. I don't have to raise my kids this way. Okay. And then that regulates my system because I am telling my system the truth. And then it decharges or de-escalates how I'm feeling and then allows me to more, have more space because I'm not filled with anger or judgment or uh, frustration you know, or anxiety over like, what is my kid going to turn into if they can't regulate themselves now, which is a story because you know they're going to be fine. We're fine. Yeah. Or better. <laughs> you know, constantly getting better. You know, I'm curious. We both are very blessed to have some incredibly special women in our life and who talk about, if you want to say, making us better with the intention to make us better and, and to be there in loving support. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how Sarah specifically, and you touched on it a little bit, but like, how has Sarah impacted you in, in your communication and how you're showing up? Because I imagine it's not easy. The amount of changes I've observed in you in these last few years is massive. And so there's some reason why you're still in it, you know? And I imagine she's a big part. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about her. When I first met her, it felt... It was the realest thing I've ever felt. Mm. And it's because she was the other half of my soul. You can, you know, people talk about twin flames and um, I subscribe to that because there are things that I knew about her that she hasn't told me. And then there's things that she knew about me that I haven't told her. You know, back, back in the day, we put, I, everything that I consciously know now and remember, she knows. There's, there's nothing consciously that we leave out from each other. You know, and then every now and then we get a memory. We're watching a show and we get a memory. And we're like, hey, do you know about this thing? I'm like, no, I've never heard about that. Tell me about that for the most part. So we know everything that's conscious. And it was so real that I, I didn't believe it. So I went seeking things to validate or invalidate how I'm feeling. What might be an example of that? Uh, meaning uh, when I first met her, I would still flirt with other women and date, uh, try to date other women to see if I can get a quick connection. Is this, is this, because this, this is so real that it was actually hard to fathom. And it's the same thing as, uh, you know, when you're going to have your baby, there's a different thing between you having the conception or the conceptualization of how you're going to feel when you're a dad. And then the moment you see it happening 
whether whether it's C-section or natural birth, however however they come out, and then all of a sudden you put them in your hands, and then it, if you allow it, the to wash over you, I can't even describe it. Everything you knew about love gets shattered, and that's scary. Because you thought from this moment on, you know what love is. You have some times with you know with Lauren, and I have my times with Sarah or other other women, and and then the moment you you know you're like, wow, this is this is so peak experience. And then you keep having another peak experience and another peak experience. And you're like, and then you reflect and you go, I never had a peak experience. So everything that I'm, that I'm thinking is, is love or connection has been limited my whole life. And when I met Sarah, it kept expanding. The peak experiences kept happening and it's, I kept walking towards the horizon and it kept going away. And it kept, but then when I look back, I go, wow, I'm way further than I was. So those are those kind of things that I, I created chaos in my life with Sarah to rationalize or prove to myself that this can't be real. And the more it became real for me, the more connection I grew towards Sarah and trust with Sarah. And I, we coached with Paul for years. And the more I got clear with what, you know, myself and got rid of all those you know, nagging voices that were infiltrating the conversations and established my boundaries and were really serious about what I wanted to do. And paradoxically, the, the you know, because Paul teaches, there's several things you can do in a relationship. And the one I chose was work on the relationship. And I was thinking, you know, Paul's like, can't say anything to her because you have no stick to shake at her. So get good at being your true self and when you're in alignment and you notice she's out, you're going to notice that when you say something, she receives it because it's coming from a place of wholeness versus a place of childishness or temptation or lust or greed or selfishness. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going I'm to, okay, I'm going to get aligned so I can really tell her what's up. <laughs> and the more I did that, the more I realized she's the truth. So the more I work on myself, and the relationship, the more I don't want anything else. So the thing that I was doing, because Paul said, when you have worked on yourself completely and the relationship isn't serving you anymore, and you can leave the relationship knowing that you have done everything that you could, look in the mirror and said, have you done everything? Are you a master of this relationship and is no longer serving you? And you can go to bed knowing that you did that. Then you can leave and still say that then that's how you should leave. And I was like, all right, I'm going to put myself through that until I get there. And then funny enough, the paradox is the more I do that, the more I don't want to leave because she's, like I said, the truth. She is my ever evolving horizon. And the more that we grow together, the more my capacity of what I think love is keeps increasing because the more, instead of me being childish, I learn to see how she shows love. And then I learn to receive her love the way she gives it. It's like, it's like getting mad at a flower and it's nectar for not producing a fruit. And you go, no, 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 you appreciate them differently. And you can't, and if, you know, Rumi says something along the lines of don't pluck the flower because you kill the flower. If you want to love the flower, leave the flower because it still is alive. But the moment you pluck it, it starts to die. And so I learned how to appreciate who she was and see her for who she was because I started meeting my own needs. And I didn't need her, her to meet my needs. And then when that 
ended up happening, reflecting on it, I go, wow, she changed my life more than I can. I can't, I can't even describe into words because every now and then, and, and if you want to do this, this is fun to do. Go back to some experience in your life. Like when you said 24 year old Alex and I, and I go back and I go, what if I never met Sarah? What would I still be doing? I'd still be chasing women. I'd probably still be living at my parents' house. I'd probably, you know, maybe get in more trouble with the police. Maybe think my ego would be so inflated because the truth is I know a lot of things and I discern and I, and I, in my mind a lot and in my heart and channeling from or downloading because channeling has this process of removing yourself from yourself. So it's receiving knowledge from things outside of myself that put things together. And so I can imagine that if I didn't have all these women in my life to check me, I would be another one of those people that has this huge ego that knows a lot, but no one wants to talk to. Well, I think you're you're incredibly fortunate to have met Sarah when you did, because also too, I don't know the exact age, you can share that, please. But like, you know, she's older than you. Like when you guys met, you were like immaturity. Like I know when Paul was doing a lot of coaching with you, like you had your own and you're still growing. I'm still growing. Like we're in our mid thirties. So that'll never stop. But especially in those early or mid twenties, like there's a lot of development and maturity that needs to happen responsibility. And one of the things I know about you, like you said, you're, you're with four ladies. Well, Sarah's one, then you got three kids. So, and then you got dogs and you got this property. So I think also as men and as people, we grow as our levels of responsibility grows. And so one of the things that I know about you that I observed is there's an age gap of how many years? Eight. Eight. So there's an eight-year age gap. And, and Sarah is already a very mature woman, an incredibly smart woman. So you have that in your mid-20s and then you, you throw in a massive amount of responsibility. So it's like throwing again, you were like, an, I don't know, an infant lifting 500 yeah. pounds. But I'm, I'm really... Uh, it's inspiring is what I want to say. It's inspiring to see how you are still here you are still with it, still growing, and you've grown with them and you've grown with this responsibility. And I think that's a beautiful message to people, but especially men, to stand up and rise up and, and rise to the call of responsibility. And it can be scary and it can feel like fucking 500 pounds. And maybe, just maybe, that's the battle we should fight or that is something worth going towards because what's on the other side is everything that you've shared. Yeah. My fears have changed. What are they now? My fears before was being stuck in a relationship that wasn't serving me. And now my fear is failing them. Mm. So it's a new level of love that doesn't want to let them down. I feel that. Mm -hmm. It's fucking scary. That's come up. Um, you know, I've been doing more and more just connecting with, with uh, Luca. I don't know if I share you that. That's going to be his name, Luca. Um, and just a lot of, you know, uh, hands on Lauren's belly and like just a lot of things to connect. Meditations, dreaming, all that sort of stuff. And what you just said there, what you just said, the fear of letting them down, ooh, that has been a recent thing. And the baby's, you know, not even, uh, hasn't been birthed yet, but I feel that, bro. I feel that to my core and uh, it's a new feeling for me. My whole life, I say things with bluntness. I don't care if I let them down. That's their expectation of me. I, don't, I didn't set that expectation. They set that expectation of me and that's their problem. And then you experience 
deep love and watching each kid observe you and want to make your life a little bit better and uh, share their love with you and their passions. And then as you grow to receive those emotions and not let that wash over your other responsibilities. Because when Ari was born, I pretty much laid there in bed with them for about three, four months until Sarah was like, get out of the house because uh, we're going broke because you're spending too much time at home staring at our baby. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was like, oh, okay. I, I remember it was like March or April because she was born in January. It was March or April. I was like, all right, I need to get out. I need to go network. I need to find clients. And yeah, it was scary because we were baroque back then, you know? And uh, it's, it's those moments where it turns to, I don't care what you expect of me. I'm going to be myself to, I care what you think of me. And that's new. And at the same time, on a physiological, emotional, mental, spiritual level, I I know that unconsciously my behavior is going to shape the rest of your life. And I remember Sarah every now and then she asked me these deep questions. And uh, one of them was, uh, I can't remember how many years ago she asked me, she goes, if our kids dated someone like you, how would you feel? And that stirred up a lot. Because Back to 24-year-old Alex. Ah, this isn't real. Dating around. And then I pictured my kids with someone flaking. I'd beat the shit out of them. I want to I knock their head in. Like, how do you not see how amazing these kids are? And don't f- mess with my kids. You know, Don't play with their hearts. And I'm like, here I am projecting onto the other people the things that I didn't do. And so it gave me an opportunity to really reflect. And that's why um, whenever I hear, you know, People are dog people and they're like kids. It's like, they are, but they're not. You know, they teach you how to have kids. You wipe up their poop. They have diarrhea. You clip their nails. You know, you, you have a rhythm. They're hungry. You feed them. You walk them. You know, um, hopefully you don't walk your kids on a leash. But if you do, <laughs> I get it. But those are those things when, when you know, your partner, your wife makes you reflect on and you care about these things. It, you know, you're, what your child is going to be with. And if your behavior is going to shape the rest of their lives... Because they've unconsciously, you've programmed them to accept me arguing with Sarah. And then they will look back and go, well, it's okay for dad to treat mom like that. It's okay for my husband to treat me like that. I guess I've, I've witnessed it, you know? But then if they see me regulate myself and hear and feel, that's the same person. That that's, that's how they will learn for men to treat them. And that's the thing Sarah's taught me. And, you know, we'll be in a heated argument and then she'll say something like that. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to go sit down because this is, this is a lot because she'll sneak him in there. And that's why I'm with her because she makes me a better person every day. And because I love that and I love her and I want to make sure she feels that I am very change oriented. So when you asked me earlier, do people change? Absolutely they do. And Maybe as not as like human beings and your interests, you may not, you may change interests, you may not. But on a, you have, you'd make different choices, which ultimately changed your behavior, your physiology, the way you approach people. And that is a change because if you stabbed everyone with a knife, but then, then you chose to punch them, at least you're not killing them. And then if you chose to slap them, then you're not, you know, you know, knocking them out. And then you progress to, uh, you know, putting them in the headlock and then you progress to giving them a hug. So people change. You fix their teeth. 
all of a sudden they're less angry. Their organs aren't wanting to fight the world. They could breathe better. And then if they breathe better, guess what? There's more oxygen to the brain and there's more oxygen to your tissues and you're not in pain. And people that are not in pain Mm. aren't angry at other people. That is so true, man. That is so true. Dude, this has been so much fun. Uh, I know we could keep going. And I also want to be mindful of your time. And also, if there's any final words as we wrap up today on change, on teeth, on your growth as a person, please, uh, would love for you to share any final words. And also, you've got some dope stuff you're working on, you're cooking up. So please share a little bit of that. If people have questions on teeth stuff, they can, in Primal Pride, our community site, we have have so many resources and conversations and where to go and kind of practitioners to look up. I mean, that is our community site. People can go to primalpride.com and log in and get a free week at for, for our community. And awesome. uh, we go live every, every Monday for two hours and um, we answer any questions that are in people's minds. And there's no limit on what people are going to ask about. Our only requirement is no judgment, no criticism and be curious. And uh, um, I have no room for trolls. That's where, that's where my blunt self come back. I have no room for that. But the first stage is to start with the teeth things is get a mouth guard. If you're going to be exercising, hiking, Give yourself some space. If you have enough awareness and you looked in your mouth and you go, hey, this is a problem, but I don't know what to do about it, grab a, grab a mouth guard, a lower mouth guard for hikes and things like that that only fit on your bottom teeth. Uh, that can stabilize your teeth from banging together and they have some cushion protection. Mm. That's a great uh, resource to start with before you go spending $10,000, $20,000 realigning your teeth for several years and uh, until you can finally or find a good practitioner that can do it right there's so many factors that need to be addressed that they also don't know about because that's their profession. They know how to make the teeth straight and put the, put everything back, but they don't know how it affects the physiology and the other, other things. So that's what I've learned. And um, about change, it's possible. With enough, with enough uh, commitment, love, and pain, when you have something to lose, you'll change. But if you've deemed yourself there's nothing to lose because you've taken enough psychedelics that everything is one and... Uh, and like, we're all like one and, you know, I guess if good vibes and, you know, you don't, you know, that person left there for a reason, you have detached from life and from feeling and feeling that need to commune with the holy, with the feminine, with your own masculine, with your own masculine and, and feminine, their masculine and feminine. And you've, you're missing the union of life and the, the, the beauty of expanding to a place that you've never even thought possible like when you have your child you're you're you'll level up on a level that doesn't even make sense and you'll have to like stretch into that feeling because you're like i didn't know i could fit into that room you know i didn't know i could occupy that space that's way too big for me now i gotta stretch into it so that's that's the thing about change if it's worth it you will so find something that's worth it and then let it change you let it deconstruct your mind and your soul and your heart for the better Obviously, you have to discern it's for the better. If it's not for the better, then yeah, obviously, don't leave, you know, or leave. Um, but if there's a spark of something that's better, that will absolutely change who you are on a human soul level. Yeah, and then we have plenty of workshops on these integrations, finding out your beliefs coming in January. So for all of 2023, we're going to start putting up events. And uh, we have all these courses that we're creating, mostly Sarah, and we're co-creating some and how to integrate your beliefs and and how to create your own life through your own belief systems and even question the way you think about things. Is that something that you even believe in? 
Or is that something that your parents believed in? Or is that something that your ancestors believed in? Or is that something that society told you to believe? And you've actually, you, you don't actually want to believe this way. And sometimes people need the permission. And they need the validation initially. And then they get sent on their way. Because not everyone is going to get hit with that seeker moment of God talking to them and sending them on this wild ride. And so with, an, with enough patience and silence and you know, all those people that get humiliated when they're on their knees and then they hear what needs to happen, you, not everyone has to hit that level. And I've been on my knees many, many times. And there's no going back. You're too far up the mountain. You'll die going back. And then my body won't let me go back. The moment I mess up, my body's in pain. The moment I'm aligned, I'm in no pain. And people are confused by how are you not in pain? I go, because I, I got to do these things. I got to keep doing them as, as you know, committed as I am to these or else my body is going to physically hurt. My mind is going to hurt. I'm not going to connect with people emotionally. My kids are going to see it and they're going to, they're going to tease all that nonsense out of me and they're going to create conflict because they feel the conflict in me and they, they're open receivers. So the more... I check in with my environment. If my environment's good, that means I'm doing something right. If my environment is not right, that means I'm not doing something right. Regardless of what it is, and maybe it's my, you know, Sarah's having an issue, but regardless, it's still on me. That's the way I see it. That's that self-responsibility and self-accountability. That's the only kind of, that's like, uh, my buddy would say that's the only real accountability there is is self-accountability. So, dude, I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate you too. Thank you for for sharing so much of your life so openly and your Russianness is is, is softening. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. It's still there. But dude, I appreciate you so much. And uh, once again, thank you, brother. Very much, very grateful for you. Grateful for you too. So funny how we've ended up in each other's life. Not funny. It's uh, interesting that we came in each other's lives, the, the time that we did, the moments that we did, the experiences <laughs> that we've had separate together. And uh, it's definitely a pleasure watching you grow as well. Thank you. And sharing all those experiences and I won't, I won't share all those. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. <laughs>